Well, if you don't know me, my name is Chuck Hirsch. I'm one of the elders here. And just every once in a while, typically about once a year, I get an opportunity when both Pastor Dwight and Pastor Rebecca are on vacation. Uh, so they asked me to speak. We are going back into 1 Corinthians today. Uh, so it's been a several weeks, and I want to bring you up to date where we're at in 1 Corinthians, then I'll dive into the text. And then we're going to have an interesting time today. Might offend someone. Let's pray before I do, okay? <laughs> All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to hear your word. Father, I pray that your word would, would come to us, uh, that we'd have eyes and ears of understanding. Uh, Lord, at the end of the day, I pray that we'd all draw close, closer to you. Lord, we give you our uh, entire selves, our hearts, our mind. And we ask that uh, you'd search us. Lord, if there's any way in us that is unpleasing to you, reveal it, bring us correction. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians, Paul spent a year and a half at this church in Corinth. Uh, he founded the church. Uh, in Corinth, it was, uh, to, to give you an idea of what Corinth was like, obviously, uh, in Greece, you know, where all the philosophers are from, so a very strong desire for knowledge. Uh, but Corinth itself was refounded by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. It was uh, where, as the Roman Empire was expanding, so they would conquer an area, and then they would take the men from that area and put them in their army. And if they fought for them, they could earn their freedom. And when Julius Caesar founded Corinth in 44, it was basically full of these free men. So from all over the place, uh, they were heathens. Uh, the church of Corinth didn't have many that came from the Jewish tradition. Uh, and Corinth itself uh, was particularly Let's just say it was the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the world today. Does that describe it well for you? There was actually, uh, sexual sin was so prevalent that they actually just coined it Corinthized. That meant you were sexually promiscuous. How would you like the name of your city to describe that? So Paul leaves the church and some error starts uh, coming into the church. So now he's addressing the error. Uh, he actually wrote a letter before we see 1 Corinthians. There's a letter written. And then the church at Corinth wrote back to him with a number of questions. And in 1 Corinthians, what we have is 1 Corinthians. Paul is addressing answers to those questions. But it starts out defending what the true gospel is. And then Paul defends his apostleship, his authority over the church to speak into the church, and then he starts addressing some errors. There was sexual immorality in the church where a, a young man was sleeping with his father's wife, and the church was accepting it. That's 1 Corinthians 5, and obviously that doesn't sound kosher. Uh, Paul addresses it, and in that uh, he says, uh, who are we to judge those outside the church? Sometimes we do way too much of that. Are we not to judge those inside the church, expel the wicked man from among you? Chapter 6 moves into uh, 
lawsuits in the church. They're suing each other. It's all about money. They're not honoring God. Wouldn't you rather be uh, taken advantage of rather than to bring disrepute to the name of the Lord? And then it ends back in sexual immorality again, and it talks about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 7, Paul's answering their questions. Hey, uh, should, should I have sex with my wife or spouse? And Paul addresses that, and if my spouse is an unbeliever, should I divorce them? Paul answers that, and then what about singles? And we get to chapter 8, and the subject is food sacrifice to idols. I'm sure we have a problem with that today, right? I went to the butcher last uh, yesterday and bought some ribeye, and it did not occur to me whether this was sacrifice to an idol. So as I'm looking at this, I see 13 verses on food sacrifice to idol. I'm like, oh, great. Dwight, you gave me a great chapter. A lot in there. <laughs> Actually, there is. <laughs> so what's, what's the question that they're asking, Paul? They're asking, Paul, is it... Is it okay for a Christian to do blank? What is the Christian ethic? Is it permissible for me to engage in this? You know, it'd be like today, is it, is it okay for a Christian to drink? What about, can I have a tattoo? Are Christians allowed to dance? You know, some of you, I see those and you're like, are you serious? Those are serious questions. From your background, you came, you, you, you were never taught that that was a potential problem or issue. Others of you, you know, depending if you grew up in the church, and particularly a, uh, a church that uh, maybe Pentecostal, Baptist, uh, something from the Nazarene or Christian Mission Alliance, a holiness tradition, uh, you were taught that, you know, I went to a Bible college when I was 17 years old. It was a Pentecostal school, and, you know, basically the rule of thumb is you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls that do. How's that? Uh, the length of skirts were really important. Uh, so what's permissible as a Christian and, and what's not? That's, that's what we're going to focus on today. How do we get to a biblical ethic? Let's read chapter 8. i got to turn my Bible on. All right. You ready? So now about food sacrifice to idols. So he's going to their question. We know that, and he quotes them, we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Let me stop there. Paul asks, you know, now about food sacrifice idol, and he has two sentences that has nothing to do about it. He stops and says, before I get to this subject, which he's going to agree to them in principle, he says, the first basis that we have to start is, Christian ethics starts with the subject of love. It comes out of love. If it doesn't start from love, you are quickly going to get into an area of knowledge and knowledge puffs up. You don't often see a contrast between love and knowledge. You can see a contrast between love and hate or knowledge and ignorance, but love versus knowledge, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So we need knowledge, but we need knowledge 
in the context of love. So then, about food, eating food sacrificed to idols, we know, he's quoting them, an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. We're a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God. Uh, Hindus believe in millions of gods. Uh, other, you know, in Athens here, they had Zeus and Athena and all these various gods. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for, the, for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and their conscience is weak, and it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. It's not talking about fasting there. Uh, fasting for the purpose of seeking God will bring you nearer to God. He's just talking about food in general. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, that person, uh, that, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge? There's kind of two aspects here. There's one just plain in general, the food sacrificed to an idol. In an idol's temple, that food, part of it would be burned on an altar. Part of it would be given to the people to eat kind of in a social environment. And then part would be given to the minister, the priest, uh, for their family, kind of their earnings. Uh, same thing in biblical times. The, the priest would get a portion. They'd stick the fork in pull out and that would be for their family well sometimes the priest ended up with too much and that could end up in a butcher shop or that butcher uh might might have uh, been a religious butcher and offered hey uh giving uh offerings to uh to idols from uh from his uh inventory however there was also this aspect where they believed that you can actually go to the temple of this idol and because it's not real, you could participate in the fellowship with, one, with people. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. That will destroy a brother. And then he says in chapter 10 that in these idols' temples, they're, they're actually worshiping demons. But just about going into a butcher shop and getting meat, Paul says, don't bring up, has this been sacrificed to an idol or not? Don't ask those questions. Just go ahead and eat. And if someone brings up and has, then, then abstain. All right. So verse, we'll, we'll start at 11. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ has died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if I cause my, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that it will not cause them to fall. Thank God that that is not an issue today because I want to continue to eat meat. I have been given canines and they work well. I hear that. All right, so 
what I, what I want to get into is how do we come up with a biblical ethic? Yes, eating meat, sacrifice idols is not an issue today, but there are a lot of things that the Bible doesn't clearly speak to. But first principle, if the Bible clearly says it's sin, it's sin. You don't need to pray about it. You know, we're really good sometimes at rationaling, rationalizing what we want to rationalize, right? Uh, the young man who's engaged, well, I'm, I'm engaged, you know, why can't I have intercourse now? I'm going to marry him. Do I really have to wait? Or you're working and uh, my employer's not paying me enough, I'll, I'll just help myself to some of this inventory. I work in a restaurant and I need some hamburgers for my cookout. That's stealing, and I believe the Ten Commandments speak to that. And if that's you, you can repent, and the Bible says provide restitution. I think I told you as a young man, I worked at a grocery store and I decided uh, occasionally that uh, lunch was gonna, uh, was gonna come out of the till. And then I went to Bible college, and one day I'm in worship, and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit on my life in that area. And I actually, when I went back on a, uh, on a break, I went back to that uh, grocery store that I worked at and asked for the manager, and uh, I told the manager what I did and handed, handed uh, handed him a couple hundred dollars uh, to make restitution for what I had stolen. What did Jesus say about that particular issue? What does the Bible say? What, what is the moral law of the Old Testament? Are the Ten Commandments still good for today? I believe they are. Again, if the Bible clearly speaks to it, we need to adhere to it. But there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't clearly speak to. And so where do we go from there? And sometimes Christian culture can really dictate uh, a lot of things that aren't clearly uh, done in scripture. And, and again, I talk about depending on where you came from, uh, some things are, are a no-go. Uh, and yet, I don't necessarily see that in the Bible. So, and here's, here's the interesting thing. The Bible actually says that uh, because of your conscience, something might be a sin for you that might not be a sin for someone else. Did you ever think about that? It actually says at the end of Romans 14, which talks about the same subject, that anything you cannot do in faith is a sin. So I say, what about alcohol? My understanding of the Bible is nowhere in the Bible does it say that uh, having a beer, a glass of wine is, is a sin. Uh, Jesus drank some wine with his disciples. He turned water into wine. He told Timothy, take some wine for what ails you. However, the excess, the abuse of alcoholism uh, is a major problem, and there's many people in the church that have been hurt, uh, an alcoholic father that abused them, uh, and I can see in those cases why they don't drink, uh, why a person that has a propensity towards alcoholism probably needs to set a limit in their lives, but in and of itself, alcohol brings you no closer to God nor farther away. Actually, a friend of mine, I was just talking to him, kind of relating what I was uh, going to speak on, and he mentioned that his son uh, was noticed by his grandmother 
that the son was having a mixed beverage. Wasn't drunk, uh, and he's getting married, and the grandmother said to my, to my friend, I don't know that I can give him money at the wedding because he might use it to buy alcohol. Might be a little judging going on there. Tattoos. By the way, if I hit on something that offends you, uh, feel free to send an email, dwight at ctkchurch.org. Thank you. Tattoos. It says nothing in the New Testament about tattoos, uh, but you say, Chuck, aha! In the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.28, it says, no tattoos. Well, in the context, it's talking about cutting your body, it's talking about idol worship, cutting your body, and, and putting tattoos of that idol in some form of worship to that idol on your body. Uh, it does not say that you couldn't, couldn't put a tattoo, but I would, you know, what's the reason you want a tattoo? You know, is it a form of rebellion? I, I wanted a tattoo as a young man at the age of 14. I told my dad I'd like to get a tattoo. He said I'd have to find a new place to live. I decided that uh, I didn't have that money and I was not getting a tattoo. There's still no mark on my body, but that doesn't mean I'm offended. Uh, put all the tattoos you want on the body. Just uh, are, are you doing it to get noticed in some way? Just, just check the motives a little bit. Uh, here's one. Gary, cue this up. Dancing. We're gonna we're gonna watch a Mr. short little video. I think has a right to be heard. say a few words about this motion so that uh, you, you wouldn't think that we were encouraging destruction with this idea. From the oldest of times, people danced for a number of reasons. They danced in prayer or so that their crops would be plentiful or so their hunt would be good. And they danced to stay physically fit, and show their community spirit. And they danced to celebrate. And that, that is the dancing that we're talking about. Yeah. Aren't we told? In, in Psalm 149, praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Let them praise his name in the dance. Amen. And it was King David. King David, who, who we read about in, in Samuel. And, and, and what did David do? What did David do? What did David do? David <laughs> danced before the Lord with all his might. Leaping, leaping and dancing before the Lord. Leaping and dancing. Yeah, that was uh, uh, 10th grade for me. That was 1984. I was 10th grade, uh, uh, and that was the movie Footloose. Uh, Kevin Bacon there, and the, the guy he was talking to, John Lithgow, was uh, uh, the pastor of the local church, and Kevin Bacon was uh, dating his daughter. And they wanted to celebrate uh, graduation with a dance. And for some of you, you're like, are you kidding? That's, that's truly an issue. I went to every dance that my, my school or college offered. Uh, but, in, but in some places, 
any form of dance uh, is, is frowned upon. Uh, now, hey, there is inappropriate dance. I, I'm, not, I'm not justifying twerking. And if you don't know what twerking is, as someone in my Sunday school class this morning said, hey, it could be a wrecking ball. Most of you didn't catch that either. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. How about this one? Gambling. Does the Bible say it's a sin? I don't believe it does. I, have, you, have you done a football square? A lottery ticket? Uh, are you involved in fantasy football? You know, all of a sudden now we're like, oh, you can do this, but you know, blackjack or poker or, you know, in some traditions, you can't play any kind of cards at all. Forget about pinochle and all the other good stuff. Uh, now, can gambling be destructive? 100% absolutely. If, if you're not meeting your bills at home and there's no food on the table, but the jack is getting your money, you might have a problem. You might be actually in a point of sinning. But gambling in and of itself is a matter of conscience. Are you guilty when you're doing it? Smoking. Is it a sin? Oh, uh, Chuck, the Bible says your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're absolutely right. That was actually two chapters ago in 1 Corinthians, and it was talking about sexual immorality there. Uh, but if we're going to extend it to smoking, and I believe the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, let's not end there. I mean, high fructose corn syrup, let's, let's get rid of that too, uh, because that's killing us. So, I mean, we could, we could go on, but uh, you're no closer to God if you do not smoke or if you do smoke. How about medical marijuana? Well, if something's illegal, uh, I, I believe it's wrong. We're told to obey the authorities in Romans 13. But if something's legal, uh, in and of itself, I don't think it's a sin. Movies. R-rated movies. So, in my life, I, I, I am different now at 54 than I was in my early 20s. Uh, I'm... Probably the world has opened up a little bit. I'm a, I'm a little more grayer now, not just up here, but, it, but, but a little less, little less judgmental. Uh, for the first two years of our marriage, we didn't have a TV. Now, in the first 44 months of our marriage, we had three kids. We found a TV, still had three more. But, uh, you know, we didn't have a TV. And that, you know what? That wasn't a bad thing. It didn't make us more holy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a TV, but there might be a time to limit it. I, for the longest time, didn't watch an R-rated movie, and then my, my friend kind of urged me to watch Hunt for Red October. And if you watch Hunt for Red October, believe it or not, it's rated R. I don't know why it's rated R. It was a great movie. I'm a big Tom Clancy fan. Uh, but for some, that would be a problem. For others, it's not. And don't let your conscience become the conscience of someone else. Clothing. 
Oh, now we're getting good, right? Uh, again, Bible college, skirts down to here. I, I'm not about to, uh, as an elder of this church, walk around with a ruler and start measuring on a Sunday morning. Uh, but the Bible does say modesty. I'll tell you, I learned, I, I went on a cruise a, a year and a half ago with, uh, with my fifth daughter down to Cancun, and the, the swimming suits have changed a little bit. I said, oh my, I gotta look up. Both cheeks are hanging out and there's just a line. For me, that probably extended modesty beyond what I'm comfortable with. Music. Do you only have to listen to Christian music? I did for many years. Uh, but God owns melody, he owns beat, he owns rhythm, it's all God's. It's really the words that, that matter. I mean, I, I have XM Radio and Channel 63, the message is on virtually all the time. I listen to some talk radio, but occasionally I roll that baby back to 55 and listen to a little country. Occasionally. So conscience, where's your conscience? What, what might be sin for you is not necessarily sin for someone else. And a lot of people struggle with that. Like if God convicts a person in a certain area, they want to extend their conviction to everyone around them. So that we all align somehow. So number one, is it biblical? Do not waver. Number two, what does your conscience tell you? Number three, there are times we need to limit our freedoms. And we need to limit our, th our freedoms for three different reasons. Number one, what struggles, what temptations have you experienced in your life? Again, as I talked about alcohol, I have friends that do not touch it. Uh, my friend's father was an alcoholic and that was not a good environment. And for them, they don't want anything to do with it. They stay as far as possible from it. They're, they don't, they're not even tempted. You know, they don't want to have a sip. They don't want to have a beer. Uh, but for others, it's not, it's, not an, it's not an issue. I've got a brother that's an alcoholic and a nephew that's an alcoholic. And I see the destructiveness. What are your struggles? What are your temptations? You know, do you struggle with lust? You might need to limit some of your freedoms. That might dictate what movies uh, should, be, should be around. What might even dictate what apps should be on your phone, right? Uh, Facebook has got this video uh, app as part of the, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I had to take Facebook off my phone just because it wasn't pornography, but it was, it was definitely leaning towards that. And it was just, I didn't want to deal with that temptation. So I, I remove Facebook, so if I want to look at a post, I just look at it online and then, I, then I'm off, but I'm not sitting there scrolling on Facebook. I'm limiting my freedom. Facebook in and of itself is not sinful, but what I do with it can be sinful. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Obviously hyperbole, otherwise we'd have a lot of blind people here this morning, right? But it's basically saying, deal radically with sin in your life. 
You gotta take some extra steps to protect yourself. If there's a lot of those bathing suits, don't hang out at the beach, right? Secondly, God has the authority to limit your freedoms. There's a thing called the Nazarite vow in the, in the Bible where they, they didn't drink any wine. Actually, they, not only wine, they didn't have grape juice or anything that came from a raisin, a grape, anything. They didn't cut their hair. They were devoted to the Lord. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite. Sa- uh, Samuel was a Nazarite. God limited, by a call of God, their rights. They had the right to do it, but God limited it. What's God asking of you? You know, we, we not only have a conscience, but we have the Holy Spirit. When, when, when we gave our lives to the Lord, the Holy Spirit came and, to dwell inside us. And that Holy Spirit can bring conviction and can bring direction in your life. And if you're listening, occasionally that Holy Spirit will tell you, hey, give this up for a period of time. And then finally, right here in this passage, the stumbling block principle. If what you're doing is causing someone to stumble, then it's better off not doing it. Be aware of the people that you're with and what their issues are. Because it's not just about what is good for you, it's what's good for those around you. Your freedom is tempered by love. If you cause someone to stumble, you're sinning. So number one, what does the Bible say? Is it clear in Scripture? If it's clear in Scripture, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to think about it. You just need to follow it. Number two, if it's gray, what is your conscience doing? Now, sometimes our conscience is dictated by the way we grew up, and that can change over time, right? Uh, But what is your conscience telling you? Number three, is God calling you, or do you need to, or is the people around you causing you to limit your freedoms? And that's okay, too. You following me? Did I offend people? You don't need to raise your hand. Anybody gonna write an email to Dwight? You can talk to me afterwards. Let me end with this. You know, maybe you're sitting here this morning and uh, this is a little foreign to you. Uh, but one thing's connecting and that's uh, the reason Jesus came was because we have a sin problem. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has missed the mark. Not one of us is going to be able to stand before the throne of God and says, my good outweighed my bad. Actually, James 3.10 says, if you broke one of these commandments, you broke them all. Every one of us is guilty before a holy God. But God did not leave us in our sin. That is the very reason Jesus came. He came, he was born to live a perfect life, to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, to make a way for us to have a relationship with Father God. And if you don't know the forgiveness that comes with that, then you don't know. That no matter what you did, no matter what shame you have in your life, maybe you're the alcoholic. 
Maybe you're the one that's caused people to stumble. There's forgiveness. And we're going we're gonna to go from here into communion, and as we have communion, we're going to have people to the right over here and to the left over here to pray with people. And as we come, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. That at the judgment, we're going to be divided those that know the Lord and have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have chosen to live for him and those that haven't. Some to eternal life, some to eternal damnation. That saving is from that final judgment. You can experience that today. You can experience the love of God, the forgiveness of God. But the Bible says you must repent and believe. To repent is to say, Lord, forgive me. I want you in my life. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect from this point out, but God, I want you. Put your Holy Spirit in me to walk in a way that pleases you and make me a child of God. If that's you, you can pray right now. And then as we come to take communion, you're offered this opportunity. When we take communion, we break, we, we take this wafer and wine or juice to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, the very reason we're here this morning. It says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So in, in the very act of receiving, you can, you can receive his grace and find new life. If that's you, I also would like to have a conversation with you at the end. Just pull me aside and say, Chuck, that's me. I, wanna, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So let's all stand. You know, we did this Empowered series, right? First uh, Corinthians is, is like, Corinth is the most messed up church probably in the entire Bible. Paul's dealing them with them pretty correctively throughout First Corinthians, and yet it talks more about the spiritual gifts than any other book. So just that having the spiritual gifts doesn't make you mature. Uh, but also in 1 Corinthians is where we find the Lord's Supper, chapter 11. And in chapter 11, Paul writes this, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do we, oh, we're coming up. So I will do this. And then we are coming, sometimes we have it at the seats. And sometimes they're coming up. So in a second, uh, we'll have the servers come up and we'll take communion. And then after that, he took the cup, the cup of wrath that Jesus took on our behalf. He said, this, is, uh, this, this cup is the new covenant in my name, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So servers come up, we, what we do is we line up here and there. We have uh, gluten-free if you need it, we have juice and wine, and then there'll be some uh, people off to the right and off to the left to pray. Uh, go ahead and line up. Thank you, worship team. <laughs>